Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Ahoy and welcome to the Love Boat. I'm Julie, your cruise director. With me as always is Isaac, your bartender. How you doing? I just did the little... Double guns. The double guns. Looking good. You're a genius. Thank you. For coming up with that. Thank you. You're a genius too, Chuck. Thank you. Do you want to know uh, how we can call each other geniuses without cracking up? (laughs) I'm cracking up on the inside, but sure. Because we have no idea what constitutes a genius, do we? Right. We like to throw the word around, as you were pointing out earlier. Oh, he's a genius. Or he's a socialist, or he's a fascist. He's a genius. You should see the bathroom he designed. He's genius. <laughs> nice. You know, come yeah, on. Yeah, it, it definitely is a word that gets slapped around a lot. But uh, the, the way that we use the word genius now actually uh, is kind of a throwback to its original meaning. Uh, in the Greco-Roman era, the word genius... Back when w- everyone was wrestling? Yeah. Okay. Like you could be a genius at wrestling. Sure. Uh, really, what it what it what it described was somebody's um, natural enthusiasm, inclination towards certain activities, uh-huh. not just your your abilities, but you know how revved up you were. So so somebody who was pretty good at bathroom design, right, would have been considered a genius at bathroom design. That's you like the word I mean? uh, vintage. People always think vintage just means old. Yeah, but I think vintage specifically means like characterized by that person's best work, like a tailor, their best five pairs of pants they made. Really, I think so. I, I might just be wrong. learned that just now. <laughs> I might be wrong. Thanks to you. Are we picking up Jerry's laugh because we're in a uh, two foot by two foot space right now? Yeah, the- this room is not genius. No, it stinks of volatile organic compounds. Well, um, we should say they actually moved us for one day into an even smaller office. Yeah. Like uh, the Seinfeld, remember when Costanza, they kept moving him around because they didn't like him? Yeah. He, we're eventually going to end up in a storage closet like he did. Yeah, I think we've arrived there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure it's lovely. It's just not for podcasting. Okay. Well, I'm a little lightheaded, so if this uh, <laughs> if this goes oddly, that's why it's the pink sure. ears and the airplane glue. That's Airplane glue is genius. <laughs> it is. Yeah, we were talking about genius for some reason, weren't we? Yeah, because this is about genius. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, so, yeah, I was saying the original idea of genius was enthusiasm, throwing yourself into something, what you were into, Uh right? Um, And then, thanks to a guy named Francis Galton, who, he was a pretty smart guy himself, but he had a long history of just kind of missing the big picture with his ideas. He came up with eugenics. Sure. He was the first one to start attributing... Um, genius to intellect. He kind of narrowed it a little more. And eventually this led to our idea of genius being quantifiable, e.g. through IQ tests. Or G, which we'll get to. <laughs> nice nice <laughs> foreshadowing. That was too. awful. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I'll just go ahead and say I don't know how quantifiable it is. Well, it's not. And there's actually two pretty big reasons why quantifying genius is virtually impossible at least with our current understanding of the mind and they are they are uh well the first one's pretty obvious genius is a very subjective thing um some people think it's like an iq higher than uh 140 or 175 i've heard which you know that's uh, just a smart 
quantifying quantify quantifier <laughs> and uh i'm clearly no genius and the, the other thing is like you said it's a it's a big picture thing and science and medical inquiries that kind of thing is all about the detail so it's really hard to like analyze and study it's like studying intercessory prayer sure. how do you study that yeah. how do you quantify happiness or prayer or genius you know yeah um, our colleague, uh, Tracy V. Wilson. Mm-hmm. I like how she put it. Yeah, she did a good job just kind of getting rid of the crud that's often associated with genius. And, and just if you have like crazy hair and a big mustache and you know math, you're a genius. She right. got rid of all that. And, uh, for the, for the purposes of this podcast, we'll adopt her description, right? Agreed. Which was that a, a genius is a, an extraordinarily intelligent person who breaks new ground with discoveries, inventions, or works of art, right? Because you can't just be a really smart person. You have to do something with it to truly be a genius. That's what makes a genius. It's not just intelligence. It's intelligence with creative energy. Well, the creative part is huge, and we'll get to that. But it's um, she goes on to say, and I agree, that it, they usually will change the way we look at the world or at least the way people in whatever field they're in look at their field. They make a difference. They're difference makers. Have you ever heard of a guy named William James Sidis? No. He uh, reportedly had the highest um, IQ in history. Around Hi- higher than Ask Marilyn of Parade Magazine? As a matter of fact, yes. <laughs> okay. Ask Marilyn says hers is 230. Yeah, she I'll claims the that. highest ever measured. This guy supposedly was 250. Really? Yeah. Um, let did me, he, let me did he do little... more than uh, a QA at the end of Parade Magazine? Sadly, no. Really? Okay, so let me let me give you a little background on Sidis, okay? Uh, he was 18 months old when he started reading the New York Times. Okay, so far so good. All right. Uh, at two, he taught himself Latin. Three, he taught himself Greek. Wow. Uh, he could speak more than 40 languages by the time he was an adult. Okay. Uh, he graduated cum laude at 16 from Harvard and became the youngest professor Ever in the history of Rice University. How I old? imagine he was like 17 or something. Okay. He was a young guy. Wow. And then within, I think, about a year at Rice, he he dropped his position and spent the rest of his life working like menial jobs. He went from job to job just doing normal labor. So and he's not a genius, though. He, he would not qualify yeah. as a genius by this definition. You have a 250 IQ. You're clearly a prodigy. Mm-hmm. You're an incredibly brilliant person. Right. But if you don't contribute to humanity, what are you worth? You're like a Buddhist monk who goes and spends your life meditating <laughs> no. in a cave. We get so much email about that. Curse you. Sorry. <laughs> but but that's, that's the point. And geniuses right. are incredibly valuable to society. I don't remember what podcast it was in. But we were talking about um, Malthus and the idea uh-huh. that... The, the more, the larger the world population, right. the more incidents of, uh, the births of geniuses sure. happens, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the more geniuses you have, the further along society is helped by leaps and bounds. Right. Well, if you think Mensa is a, uh, quantifier, then there's about three million geniuses in the U.S., but I don't buy that. Right. Because Mensa standards, um, they it's accept IQ, people right? who, well, it's not just IQ, but standardized intelligence tests. Right. Um, they accept people who score within the top 2% right. of those. So if you just extend that with basic math, 2% of the population of the U.S. is like 6 million people, right? And then 30 million worldwide. But I don't buy it anyway because they don't even count the creative element. Uh-uh. You know Gina Davis is in Mensa. 
Yeah, that, everyone always says that. And anytime you hear about Mensa, people go, you know, Gina Davis is a Mensa. I think we had this conversation. You brought up Rennie Harlan and... Yeah, the uh, the pirate movie they made. Let's play the clip, shall we? <laughs> no. Okay, we won't. Um, <laughs> Sherry, let's just get back to genius. She just spit bologna out of her mouth. <laughs> She's Sherry so shouldn't be eating bologna anyway. I did her a favor. You're right. So you want to talk about the brain? Is that where we're going? Let's let's get to it. I mean, like if if you're going to go in search of genius, with or without Leonard Nimoy, um, you are going to start looking in the brain, right? I love that show. The best. It's awesome. Yeah. So super seventies. Um, so let's go into the brain. Clearly, we're going to find our answers here, right? Maybe. No. No. Uh, but we should talk about it. The cerebral cortex, as we all know, is the largest and outermost part of your brain. And this is where the higher functions like thought and reasoning happen as opposed to lower functions like just uh, basic survival, that kind of thing. Right. And the most basic stuff is found in your brain stem, which is how Mike the Chicken was able to live for so long. That's right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cortex is, uh, cerebral cortex is divided into lobes. And within those lobes, there are regions that help you handle specific tasks. And uh, it's, we do know it has a big impact on how we think. Uh, but it's a little tricky to study because one reason that Tracy pointed out, which I thought was really valid, is to get an MRI done, you, you're lying there in a tube. You, they can't actively study how your brain operates on a day-to-day basis while you're functioning. Right, which is the great failing of the wonder machine. Yeah, I bet you they can solve that one day. Oh, they will, definitely. And by they, I mean people other than you, me, or Jerry. Some genius, perhaps. Precisely. Uh, but she did point out a cool study from uh, Cal Irvine in 2004, and they, they did pinpoint that the volume of gray matter in parts of the cerebral cortex has a, a greater impact on your overall intelligence than how large your brain is. Because we right. talked about that in the Einstein uh, thing, right? Yeah, yeah. His brain the was gray, actually smaller. The gray matter, uh, oh man, I know the white matter transmits. The gray matter is like uh, problem solving, I believe. And white matter is used to transmit information. Right. But Einstein's brain was smaller than your average bear's brain. It was. Remember, we talked about what yeah. happened to his brain. And um, when, what they finally found, the, the big distinction they found in his brain that was abnormal was that um, his parietal lobe was almost missing this uh, fissure within it. Yeah. That most people have. That's right. So he had a very narrow fissure. And... They, it was I, also wider and right than most. So it had a big parietal lobe, which is um, responsible for sensory input, but it also handles things like mathematics. Unsurprisingly enough, sure. So he had a big parietal lobe with a small fissure in between it, which uh-huh. they theorized mean or meant that his his uh, parietal lobe could communicate with itself right more efficiently, more effectively. And a genius is born. Yes. By twenty six, Joshers, he proved that atoms atoms exist. He figured out that light behaves as a particle and a wave. He developed the theory of relativity and the famous equation equals mc squared. By 26, what, where were you in by that age? I wish I could remember, Chuck. Right. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. You were, pro- you were, uh, were you following fish around or something like that? Widespread panic. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah, I was, uh, I think I was living in New Jersey at the time, but I'd goofed around enough in Athens. I wasn't coming up with uh, theories of relativity. Uh, nor was I. No. No. I was throwing a lot of darts. Uh, some other interesting aspects of the brain um is that it actually develops it goes from thicker to thinner as we age so it goes from undeveloped to uh the cerebral cortex thickening right and then after adolescence or maybe during adolescence i think during um, yeah we it begins to thin Uh right 
and what the what a study in nature uh, i think 2006 found was that um kids whose brains thicken faster in youth tended to have higher iqs right and the reason that this could be significant is that they we we tend to find intelligence is a, a, an inherited trait or what appears right. to be an inherited sure. trait so this is a physical example of how uh, intelligence could be inherited through organic structure of the brain. Right. So that's intelligence, but that's not genius. So we need to no, talk about we can't the even, difference. We, but at the same time, we can't even really describe intelligence. Like, yeah, that's consider, true. Let's let's talk about the IQ test. All right. Okay. The our our big um, arousal for the IQ test began in the in the mid nineteen twenties, right? Uh, when a uh, psychologist named Catherine Morris Cox published um, the early mental traits of 300 geniuses. And basically she went back from, and it was exhaustive. She used like 1,500 sources and studied the the work, the traits, the um, contributions mm-hmm. of 300, and actually 301, I don't know why she called it 300, uh, but 301 great minds. Right. And then basically gave them an IQ test based on this. Uh-huh. Uh, and came up, and the highest rated one was uh, Johann Goethe. Very nice. Thank you. Did you know he had a theory of evolution like 75 years before Darwin? Really? Yeah. And he came up with human chemistry. He was a smart guy, but he clocked in at number one at 250 or 210. Wow. Not bad. Sorry. Not bad at all. Uh, but as this book came out and became, you know, um, the public became aware of it. It was like, hey, we didn't know about these IQ tests. This is awesome. We can start measuring how smart people are. Right. Ironically, the earliest IQ tests were used to uh, measure mental handicaps in children. Really? Yeah. But then they started figuring out, hey, you can use this for uh, gifted kids to find the gifted kids as well. And the Stanford psychologist uh, mixed with the first guy who came up with the IQ test, Binet, the two together formed the Stanford Binet IQ test that we use today. I know I'd heard that. Right? Have you ever had yours done? No. I, I refuse to. I never will. I took one at one point, but it wasn't like the standard test. It was just some hackneyed version. And I scored really high. That's the reason I know that it was pretty much BS. Oh. <laughs> because I'm kind of smart, but not anything like uh, I scored. I didn't. I don't put any stock into it. But, Chuck, I, I guess that kind of underscores... Um, a really good criticism of IQ tests is that they may be standardized. They may be widely accepted, but we aren't 100% sure that they measure everything. Actually, well, I wouldn't even say we're 90% sure they measure everything. No they measure um, mathematical aptitude, uh, language abilities. Um, what else? Uh, well, yeah, sure, along with memory and spatial ability. Okay, but is that everything? Well, no, and any standardized test, the word itself kind of says it all. It's standardized. Right. No standardized test that you give different people can really tell you the same thing about all those different people. No, it can't. And I mean, the very questions that the test test asks. Wow. (laughs) These pain fumes are really getting on top of me. Uh, The the very questions that these tests ask um, actually can be biased. Um, I heard I heard of, I think, an SAT I hope it wasn't an SAT question. It's a little too easy, but um, some sort of standardized test, it asked the question, which of these places would you go to buy milk? And it was like grocery store, convenience store, dairy 
or something like that. Well, you can buy milk at all those, Josh. Well, you can, but I mean, right. like for kids out in the sticks where right. there isn't a grocery store, but there's a convenience store, sure. that's where they go to buy their milk, but they missed the question because the answer was supposed to be grocery store. It's a, it's a pretty dumb example, but yeah. it's, it's accurate. Right. I mean, the very people who write the tests are biased in some ways, and IQ tests have been shown to skew uh, against um, certain uh, ethnic and socioeconomic groups. Yeah, sure, same as SA, any standardized test does. So, boo. Boo to that is what I say. Okay. And the other thing, too, is is that uh, geniuses don't, like people can generally consider genius, don't necessarily score well on these tests anyway. No, that's true, too. So, throw it out the door is what I say. Um, I will say, though, just while we might as well give a little uh, information on the IQ test. The uh, standard score is 100 with a deviation of 16. So the average score of the general population will be between 84 and 116. Right. Bell curve. Right. But no one knows what over that indicates a genius. Right. A, a widely accepted number is 140. Right. But somebody just made that up at some point in time. Well, like I said, I read 175. And that's not to say that a really high score doesn't mean you're a genius. Like, it could mean you're a genius. The IQ test is capturing something, probably. Right. But it's not capturing the whole picture, I think, is the no. point we're trying to make right here, right? Not at all. So let's leave the IQ test in our dust. Okay. Uh, maybe we should go with Steinberg's, I'm sorry, Sternberg's uh, triarch theory. I kind of like that. Yeah, there are some competing explanations of what components there are to intellect, right? Yeah, Sternberg said that he thought it um, human intelligence includes a few things, thus the triarch. Uh, creative intelligence, so the ability to generate new ideas, interesting ideas. Right. Uh, analytical intelligence, so you can examine facts, draw conclusions. That's pretty good. Right. And practical intelligence, which means you can fit into your environment, which is like street smart, kind of. Yeah, but I disagree, man. I, I went back and reread that a couple of times, and and you know, Tracy points out that there are a lot of critics of. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, um, practical intelligence. It's everybody has that to a certain degree, and that does that really count to toward being a genius? I disagree. I've met some people who, well, I mean, think about it. It's the classic example of somebody who's very book smart. But you should never let sure. walk down an alley by themselves. And I've known many. Or by himself or herself. Many, many people like that. Sure. And then there's, you know, the super street smart, um, Ratso Rizzo, you know, <laughs> who can make his way. Haven't you ever seen Midnight Cowboy? I'm walking here. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, who, who can make his way in the world, but, you know, would probably do horribly on an IQ test. Sure. The, the very fact that there, there are those different, um, Polar extremes means to me that there's something to that. That that is an aspect of intellect. Right. And you remember I mentioned G earlier? I didn't <laughs> want to leave people hanging there, but the IQ test, they have come up with a unit, and they, they call that unit for intelligence G. Right. And that's actually IQ tests are under a larger umbrella of what's called psychometrics, which is basically the study of an attempt of the measurement of intelligence, right? C. Yeah. Um, back in the 70s, there was a statistician named Carl Yorskog. Yorskog. Weird. Um, and he figured out that you, he figured out a way to measure intelligence that basically led to the appearance of three different kinds of intelligence while we're on theories of intelligence, right? Okay. Uh, he came up with, um, fluid intelligence, right? 
Yes. Okay, and this is basically coming up with new ideas on your own to solve problems. Crystallized intelligence is um, understanding already established techniques of problem solving and being able to identify which technique will best work to solve a particular problem. Okay. And then there's visual spatial reasoning, which is um, kind of an aptitude at creating mental images in your head to solve problems. It's a very important part of mathematics, actually. Right. So we have uh, Yoriskog's ideas. We've got, um, what's your guy's name? Sternberg's? Hey, not my guy. Let's talk about Howard Gardner. And he has the feel-good, we're-all-geniuses kind of theory, right? Yeah, uh, multiple intelligence. He thinks there's seven types. Linguistic, uh, logical, mathematic, musical, bodily, kinetic, I'm sorry, kinesthetic, spatial, which is always in there, uh, intrapersonal, and interpersonal. Right. But that's, like you said, it's a little too uh, broad, is what a lot of critics say. It is. There's always a critic of each of these, it seems like. One person comes out with something, and people say, well, I think that sounds good, and then another part of the camp says, no, I don't agree at all. Right. Isn't that the way with everything, though, Chuck? Yeah, pretty much. Like Mountain Dew, Code Red is the greatest drink ever. <laughs> no, it's not regular Mountain Dew. It's way better. Good point. Yeah. Um, and then I guess another hallmark of intelligence, something that can be measured, is genius's aptitude toward social awkwardness. Yeah, there, a lot of them are generally known as quirky, odd <laughs> characters. They um, make up friends, as sure. John Nash did. Yeah, absolutely. Einstein was sort of a wacky guy. Yeah, he liked to stick his tongue out. He was zany. Yeah, <laughs> the people always point to that picture. Yeah. See, look how crazy he was. Yeah. Got anyone else? Uh, well, let's talk about studying that. Yes, Josh. A Purdue uh, study, Purdue U, saw 423 students, gifted students, and suggested that they were more susceptible to being bullied. So they're little mamby pambies, I guess. <laughs> a little bit. Also, there was a study um, out of, uh, was it Stanford? That it was a 20-year study, actually, um, that ended in 1940 that actually gave um, children aptitude tests and personal adjustment tests. Right. And found that there was a negative correlation between IQ and social adjustment. Right. Right? So basically, it's, it's quantifying what we all already know, that if you're <laughs> a smart kid, you're going to eat mud several times in your life. Yes. I never ate mud. That's why I knew my IQ score was BS. Uh, well, one thing that they geniuses have in common, I think we can all agree on, that you need to have to be a genius and not just smart is creative intelligence. And high-waisted pants. <laughs> creative intelligence and high-waisted pants. Right. This is where it all comes together to me. Right, yeah. I mean, we talked about this earlier. Like, you can't you, – it's not good enough to just be smart. Then you're just a really intelligent person. The leap between intelligence and genius is bridged by creative prowess yeah that's how you break new ground right why did you point at me because prowess was a horrible <laughs> word oh, i like that thanks man the thing is though joshers is that uh this is another thing that you can't quantify and study necessarily so once again it's hard to kind of pinpoint creativity and imagination although they the researchers do think that creative people have less latent inhibition and i completely agree with that 
Right, yeah, we've talked about that with the thinking cap episode. Was that it? Yeah, I knew it was where uh, schizophrenics have low latent inhibition. Right. And they take this extra stimuli and their brain constructs hallucin- hallucinations out of it. Right. The idea was that um, creative geniuses who uh, who have low latent inhibition take this additional stimuli and use it in novel, creative ways. Right. Yeah, that's one way of looking at it. There's also um, a quantifiable method or a couple of them to determine how much um, – creativity a genius has lent to the world right yeah it was in that article you, you that time article you sent me i thought that was kind of lame to be it honest. is lame but we it's funny that it. this is the level that we're at to try to survey genius right yeah what is was this the guy who wrote the book simon simonton yeah he yeah he, dave dean keith almost said david keith <laughs> what a great actor what a chin <laughs> dean keith simonton wrote a book called the uh, genius 101 creators leaders prodigies and he came up with a little notion that uh, add up the number of times someone has been uh, in a publication, have, has been cited in a professional publication in right. the field. Yeah. Or the number of times their a composer's work maybe has been performed or recorded. And I just think that's stupid. I, I think the uh, the I think there's one that's worse, and that's counting encyclopedia references. <laughs> yeah. That's awful. Because yeah. I think you can be a genius who is undiscovered. You may have like uh, written a thousand great c- compositions of music well, and you, that you, you never show the world. No, well then I think so. Well, well, then you can still isn't be a that the same thing as just holding menial jobs? It's that's virtually the same thing as holding that stuff in your head. You have to share it with the world to be a genius, or else you're just some smart schmo. I don't know if I agree with that. Well, but I don't know if I do either. I think you can still be a genius in and of yourself. You can be a genius in a vacuum. But not considered a genius by the populace. Right. Okay. Who wants to own you. Right. You know? I guess that's a difference. The difference I see in the the guy who wrote, or gal maybe, who wrote uh, several great compositions and that were never discovered, and the guy who just got the menial jobs, is he didn't seem to have any creative genius going on. Yeah, he, he was, was able really to smart. just learn. He was... Book learning, good at book, book learning. Um, well, although, uh, if you are trying to come up with a measure of you know creative genius, then counting encyclopedia entries does work. I mean, it's a way to go. Right. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell. Should we talk about him? No. He is of the uh, the belief that, uh, along with uh, Galton, I think you're talking about with eugenics, that uh, practice is really what leads to genius. Hard work and practice and practice and practice, which I don't know about that either. What do you think? I told you I'm not talking <laughs> about Gladwell. Oh, really? Yeah. All right. Moving on then. Uh, and those, well, fine, forget Gladwell. Let's talk about Erickson. Uh, Anders Erickson is a rival. They call him a friendly rival, right. which I thought was kind of funny, of the Simonton guy I was talking about. Their uh, um, conflicts end in tickle fights. Right. <laughs> It, it kind of reminded me of the Goodwill Hunting, like Robin Williams and that other guy. Right. They were friendly rivals. But uh, he is popular for the 10-year rule, which has been around for a long time. But that's a notion that it takes 10 years or 10,000 hours of dedicated practice to master a complex endeavor. And Gladwell is a believer in that. So, Chuck, um, there's a guy named David Gallinson, too, who's kind of come up with uh, a, an, at least a qualification of – creative genius right i didn't like him either you didn't Nah. well I, doesn't that kind of underscore like where the field of genius or intelligence research is right now that yeah we we've just poo-pooed ev- absolutely every sector well, it's, of it's all over the place 
Yeah. But t- yeah, say what he says because I want to prove that well, he's he says that there's actually now he says there's three kinds. Originally he said there's there's two types of innovators. There's conceptual innovators uh, who think in uh, bold, dramatic steps, uh, which Einstein would fall into. And do you know that among very smart people, he's considered kind of a flash in the pan? Really? Yeah. Think about it. He did everything that he was going to do by age 26. After that, he just went around canoeing with Walter Matthau. <laughs> As Walter Matthau. Same thing. Right. Um, and then there's experimental innovators, and they learn through trial and error over and This would be the Thomas Edison's right. of the genius world. Um, and then everybody started shouting at David Gallerson. Then he said, shut up, shut up, and went back to the drawing board and came up with the idea that genius can also be expressed in a continuum over time throughout right. a, a long lifetime of great contribution and work that's my problem with it what everybody shouted at him and he went back and was like yeah. here you go he was like well you can either get everything done really early or you can produce all your great work later in life and they were like but what about people do it all their life he went well, well yeah you can do that too right. <laughs> it's like so lame right so should we t- just list out some some geniuses throughout history that people generally consider genius i didn't like this list either but we don't like anything about this one, do we? George Washington's number 45? And hey. who's number one? It starts at number two. And if one's Einstein, well, <laughs> I'm going to literally eat this list. One was Einstein. I didn't copy-paste all of them. <laughs> we have geniuses like uh, Tesla's three, um, Da Vinci, number two, Isaac Newton, number four, Hawking, of course, Michelangelo, Archimedes, Josh is eating his list. Warren Buffett is on there. Not bad. Sure, they had to round it out and make it as approachable <laughs> as all the readers they could. Aristotle, Picasso, Niels Bohr, Jefferson, Plato, Churchill, Benjamin Franklin, I think I'd agree with that one. Shakespeare, Sir Francis Drake, Michael Faraday, Chuck Darwin, <laughs> Rene De- Descartes, mm-hmm. or is it Desplaine, Desplaine, Desplaine? Descartes. <laughs> uh, Gary Kas- Kasparov, and I think um, Bobby Fischer was on there, both chess champions. I don't know. They're, they're considered geniuses. It's all subjective, though. It is completely subjective. I think we're going to end this with this observation. Genius is like pornography. It's impossible to fully define, but we know it when we see it. Right, Chuck? Who who was that? Uh, Suter. Bruce Suter? <laughs> no, Bruce Jenner. <laughs> okay. If you want to learn more about genius, I think there's more than just this article. There's a bunch of good genius articles on the site at HowStuffWorks.com. And there's also a bunch of articles on people that we've mentioned. Because mm-hmm. we're doing a whole new series on painters, right? Like yeah, we are. Picasso and Van Gogh. Sure. <laughs> you can type it in the handy search bar, of course. Since I said that, it means it's time for listener mail. Chuck, first, before we do anything... Before anything? Yes. Okay. Let's, uh, we get, we should probably plug our new Facebook page. Yeah. We were on Facebook for a while. This is nothing new to us, uh, but we streamlined our stuff. We right. had a, a fan page and a regular page, and it was all yeah. strange. So we, we consolidated. Right. And we're actually active on Facebook now. Yes, we are. Um, so Personally. we, it, yes, we are. <laughs> we have a, uh, a our brand new Facebook page is uh, Stuff You Should Know. Just type that into the handy search bar at Facebook. Or I think it's Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know, maybe. I'm not positive, but it's easy to find. And also, buddy, we're tweeting. You are tweeting. I have tweeted twice. Yeah, you're I, 68 and you're tweeting. I know. I feel like a modern 
child. Right. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we have uh, our Twitter name as SYSK Podcast. Right? Yeah. So that would be at. Isn't that how they do it? Yeah, look at you go. SYSK Podcast. And we'll be saying funny things as well as uh, sending out links to cool stuff. And, uh, you know, we're, we're active now. That is true. So uh, check us out, will you? Yes. I'm on the show? Yes. All right, Josh, listener mail. For goodness sakes, listener mail. Uh, I'm going to read a couple of quickies here from a uh, young boy named Sam and from a trucker named Annette. Annette took us to task. Oh, no. Over what? Uh, we'll read it first. Annette says, uh, hi, Chuck and Josh. I am a over-the-road truck driver and love your podcast. Over w- the road? That's what she says. I would love for you guys to come along with me into the 21st century regarding truck drivers. I've been driving for almost 13 years, and guess what? I'm a woman. In fact, what? I have two sons y'all's age. Uh, when you talk about truck drivers, as in the McDonald's podcast, you always talk about big, burly guys. Well, I may be big and probably more surly than burly, <laughs> but I'm definitely not a guy. Don't forget us lady drivers. Nice. Love, love, love the show. So, And how could we forget? I mean, Large Marge was a huge factor oh, in yeah, uh, Pee-wee's sure. Big Adventure. Yeah. And that was Annette? That was Annette, and I told her that I would read this as our penance. Annette, I'm making the um, blow your horn sign <laughs> for the tractor trailer. So if you're hearing this right now, to your horn. Awesome. Hope she didn't just cause an accident. <laughs> uh, this is from Sam, and Sam is just another cute little kid, and I like these. I saw that. Lots of caps. Yeah. Uh, hi, Chuck and Josh. I'm Sam blank because I'm using your last name substitute. I'm 11 years old. You guys helped me get through many boring tasks like dog poop pickup, my least favorite chore. Sure. I think it's mine, too, actually. Oh, yeah. That in the cat box. I just stopped as an adult. I don't pick up dog poop anymore. You just don't go into the yard? Uh, I just watch where I'm walking in the yard. Okay. I think the funniest podcast was the Twinkie podcast. You guys make me laugh in my bed when I listen. Also in the supermarket. So nice. he listens when he goes to sleep and when he's grocery shopping. Mm-hmm. Or I guess when his mom is grocery shopping. Or dad. Or two dads. I don't know. Kids today are pretty <laughs> independent. Yeah, you're right. Uh, I think you guys are the funniest people in the world. That is true. I have a few suggestions, like what do's cat got your tongue mean mm-hmm. and other phrases mean. You love improper English. I Chuck. do. Also, riot control. <laughs> that really cracked me up. How does an 11-year-old kid know what riot control is? And Legos. So he wants to know about cat got your tongue, Legos, and riot control. And trading cards and football. So could you please, please read my shout-out on the air? And here's my shout-out. And this is in all caps. Mm-hmm. I told you, Mom, I would get my email read on air. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> so that's from Sam W. And he said, I thought Josh looked like Chuck and Chuck looked like Josh. But that changed when I saw your pictures on the site. Yeah, we get that a lot. Yeah. We're... Well, not that I look like you and you look like me, but that we look like different people. Oh, okay. That's always the case with the voice. Yeah. I'm much uglier than you would think. That is not true. You are a lovely, handsome man. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Well, thanks, Sam. Keep on shopping. And Annette, keep on trucking. If you have an interesting email that you want to roll the dice and see if we'll read it on the air, cost you nothing in this digital age. You can send us an electronic mail. Just uh, address it to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. 
Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?